down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. Small town America in 1976 was a time of innocence, patriotism, and hope. Our country, which was founded on the principles that all people were created equal, and were born with the fundamental rights of liberty, free speech, freedom of religion, due process of law, and the freedom of assembly, was freely gathering in celebration of her 200th birthday. Forty-five years ago, life in the United States, at face value, seemed quite promising, and most families were optimistic about their futures. The minimum wage was $2.30 an hour, and the average household income was $16,000. Although home prices increased drastically from the previous decade, averaging around $14,000 for a new home in the mid-60s to around $43,000 by 1976. The American dream of owning a home was a goal many aspired to reach. And despite rising inflation, automobile advertisers, borrowing from President Herbert Hoover's campaign, a chicken in every pot, promised a car in every garage. With that year's two best-selling cars, the Ford Pinto and Chrysler Cordoba, selling for under $5,000, that dream seemed attainable as well. The mid-70s saw a surge in the area of electronics when two visionaries in their early 20s both named Steve, sought to introduce a simple interface computer into every home and office, creating the company we know today as Apple. Disco was gearing up to be the dominant music scene force, and The Six Million Dollar Man was a TV show that blended science fiction robotics with the human body. The series introduced the notion of the world's first bionic man, who was equipped with technological implants, which provided him superhuman strength, vision, and speed. But what really had an impact on many Americans, especially males, was the story about a kind-hearted, hard-working character named Rocky who proved that willpower, determination, and sheer human strength are all one needs to succeed in life. This heartwarming tale of a relatable underdog served as an inspiration for millions and motivated a generation of moviegoers to go the distance in all areas of life. 
with Hollywood and the entertainment industry, masking the reality of, well, reality. Movies and songs provided a panacea of sorts that eased the pain of everyday worries and difficulties. As many benefited from the escapism that a make-believe world offered, some were creating an alternate reality for themselves and others, and that reality bore a closer resemblance to a horror film than to its feel-good counterparts. While most young adults were trying to make a living by day and dancing their worries away by night, the lives of some others were either encountering outside evil forces in life or creating their own internal evil forces as a way of life. In December of 1975, a newly married couple wanted a fresh start for their blended family. So they decided to sell their individual houses and find the perfect home for their newly formed family of five. George and Kathy Lutz were astonished by the low asking price of a Dutch colonial home located at 112 Ocean Avenue that featured five bedrooms, a swimming pool, boathouse, and a unique gambrel roof. At the cost of $80,000, purchasing this breathtakingly beautiful home, which was situated along a canal, seemed like it was too good to be true. Well, there was a catch. During the home's inspection, the broker revealed the details of its grisly past and the reason why it had sat empty for over a year. On November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald DeFeo Jr. shot and killed his father, Ronald Sr., mother Louise, sisters Dawn and Allison, and his younger brothers, Mark and John. Ronald Jr., whose nickname was Butch, told authorities that once he started killing his family, he just couldn't stop. Despite hearing the gruesome specifics about the history of the house, George and Kathy Lutz agreed to proceed with the purchase. The Lutz family moved in on December 18th, mostly bringing their personal belongings, because for an additional $400, the DeFeo family's furniture was included in the price of the sale. A friend of the Lutz's suggested that due to the evil deed that was committed in the house, that they should have the home blessed. As the story goes, when the priest flicked the holy water, he heard a low voice commanding him to get out. Upon leaving, he instructed the family to stay out of the bedroom that had belonged to the two younger DeFeo sons. Less than a month later, a second effort to bless the house was made 
and the events that took place during that attempt were said to be too frightening to describe. And that mid-January night in 1976 would be the last night the Lutz family spent in their Amityville home. A few months later, on March 1st, and a little further south of the Long Island shoreline in Bethesda, Maryland, a United States Foreign Service officer named William Bradford Bishop Jr. was overlooked for a promotion within that government agency. He told his secretary that he wasn't feeling well, so he left work early, stopped at a mall, purchased a sledgehammer and a gas can. He then stopped at the neighboring gas station and filled the can along with the tank of his 74 station wagon. Then he went to a hardware store and bought a shovel and a pitchfork. Around eight o'clock that evening, it is alleged that William Bishop, a Yale graduate and fluent in five languages, first killed his wife, then his mother-in-law, and lastly, he killed his five, 10, and 14-year-old sons. Authorities speculate that he placed the bodies inside the station wagon and drove 275 miles and burned the bodies near a North Carolina swamp. Over one week later, a neighbor of the bishops contacted the police because the family hadn't been seen and no activity had been detected around their house for nearly nine days. While inspecting the home, police discovered blood spatters on the front porch, hallway, bedrooms, and bathroom walls. Around that very same time, the remains of five burned bodies were discovered, and dental records proved them to be those of the Bishop family members. The following week, his 1974 station wagon was found abandoned at a Tennessee campground, and William Bishop has never been located or charged with the murders. And to this day, he remains on the FBI's most wanted list. The heinousness of the year 1976 didn't end with these acts of evil. During the 1970s, young David entered into a life of crime. His early interest was in petty theft, but he graduated to more serious crimes as he attempted to murder a woman by using a knife. After botching that attempt, he decided to forego knives as his weapon of choice, opting instead for the convenience of a handgun. On July 29, 1976, at around 1 o'clock in the morning, near the Pelham Bay area of the Bronx, two women who both worked in the medical field, were sitting in a car laughing 
and chatting about their time spent earlier that evening at a local disco. When Donna Loria exited her friend's car, she was surprised by a man who had appeared seemingly out of nowhere. And as she exclaimed, Now what is this? She was instantly shot dead. Her friend Jody Valente was shot in the thigh. The assailant fired a third round, missing Valenti, and then he quickly fled. Loria's death was the beginning of a year-long killing spree that left six people dead and seven others injured, as David Richard Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam, terrorized New Yorkers and made international headlines. Speculation, fear, hopelessness, and uncertainty was gripping nearly every American as people questioned what type of evil was overcoming so many individuals, causing them to act in such heinous fashion. During that very same summer of wickedness, and over 2,000 miles away, 24-year-old Max Jensen, a gas station attendant in Orem, Utah, was robbed and murdered at his place of employment. The very next night in Provo, 25-year-old motel manager Benny Bushnell was robbed and murdered as his pregnant wife and young child were in the accompanying room. While disposing of the gun that he used in these killings, the assailant accidentally shot himself in the hand. The perpetrator then phoned his cousin asking for bandages and medical supplies. While a local mechanic saw the killer hiding in the bushes, and he gave his license plate number to the authorities. As the police pursued him, Gary Gilmore's cousin Brenda turned him in, and he later surrendered to the Utah State Police. After being tried, convicted, and due to its recent reinstatement, sentenced to death, Gary Gilmore's last words before facing the firing squad were, Let's do it. Which, according to the Whedon and Kennedy Advertising Agency founder, Dan Whedon, were his inspiration for Nike's Just Do It campaign. Was it sheer irony or divine intervention that persuaded the United States Supreme Court justices to determine on July 3, 1976, that the death penalty was not inhumane. Because one month later, in Marion, Ohio, Terry and Teresa Great welcomed into the world their bouncing baby boy, Sean Great. Water down women with 
diluted dreams are hope for joy has been washed down the stream. Grab a shovel and join me each Monday as we dig a little deeper and uncover the tragedies of watered down women. Searching for love, no pain in this world, with no help from above.